Well, hello and welcome to Preach and Pray, where we uh, simply read a passage from the Bible, uh, reflect on it for a little while together and then have some time to pray. Over the last month or so, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 18 about how we can learn to love one another well within the church family. During October, we're going to be looking at what it means to love God well and to know him intimately as we explore a number of psalms. We're beginning today with Psalm 139, and I'm going to call this Letting God Come Close. Letting God Come Close. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who speaks to us. And thank you that you speak to us, not just to give us information, but to draw us into a transformational relationship with yourself. Please come close to us as we look at your word now and speak deep into our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I'm going to read Psalm 139 to you and uh, I want to suggest that you perhaps have a Bible in your hands and uh, read along with me. Why not read out loud if you can? And uh, if you've got some other folk with you, read it to each other and really share this passage together. So Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become the night become light around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. For night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only, God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are rebellious against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, over the last few months, as we've been struggling with the implications of the coronavirus, it seems to me we've had such contrasting experiences. Some, uh, perhaps especially those who live alone, have felt particularly isolated and lonely, as if they had too much space. But others, perhaps stuck in their home with frustrated children or slightly irritating housemates, they felt quite claustrophobic and they've longed for more space. Because let's face it, even the best and most valued relationships can come under pressure when there's nobody else around and we're just crammed together 24-7 and there's no privacy and nothing that we do that goes unnoticed or unobserved. That's an awkward feeling, isn't it? We need space. But what would it be like to be in lockdown with God? where literally everything about you was known, right down to your darkest secrets and the deepest movements of your heart, which you perhaps are barely fully aware of yourself. What would that be like? How does it feel? Where's the privacy then? Where's the space? Where is the freedom? Do I want that? Do I even have a choice? Well, welcome to the prayer journey of Psalm 139, a psalm which takes us to a place, I think, of wonderful intimacy with God, but gets there by a route that seems like a very honest and at times rather painful journey. You can get the feel of it quickly by looking at the first and last couple of verses. Verse one, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me, verse one, and then verse 23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So there's a journey. He begins with a fact. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And ends up with an invitation. Search me, O God, and know my heart. The psalm I think breaks down into four sections, each with six verses. And in each case, the last two verses of the section are slightly detached from the rest with a sort of element of response to that section. The first section, verses one to six, is about God's intimate knowledge of me. God's intimate knowledge of me. Verse one, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. Just feel the the penetrating depth of those words, searched me, seen into every corner, every hidden space, known me, not just the kind of knowing of, of facts about me, but intimate and personal knowledge of me. And this intimate searching knowledge that God have, has of us, it includes everything. It includes our actions, verse 2, when I sit and when I rise. It includes our thoughts, end of verse 2. It includes our rhythms of life, our going out and our lying down, verse 3. It includes every word we say and even every word that we might have said but never quite did. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He knows, he perceives, he searches 
everything about me. I wonder how you feel. Is that a wonderful thing? Or is it a slightly intimidating thing? And I think the answer is yes. It really is both. And that's the response I think we get in verses 5 and 6, where he's really saying, this is too much for me. I can't quite cope. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. You hem me in there uses a word that is usually translated besiege. You besiege me. You hold me in. And then it can feel like God is giving us no space at all as he lays his heavy hands on us. It's a bit intimidating. But it's wonderful as well. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. It's way beyond our comprehension to know what it is to know and be known in this absolute and penetrating way. We often say that we want intimacy with God and that's very much the, the heartbeat of this little series that we're going through in October. But, but do we really? And if we do, do we want it on his terms or on our own? I think David is really wrestling with that question here, trying to figure what he thinks for himself. God's intimate knowledge of me. Is it to be welcomed or resisted and feared? Then verses 7 to 12, the second section, God's personal presence with me. It is possible, isn't it, to ruin a good relationship by going on holiday with someone. I mean, it's one thing to enjoy a meal with friends, but frankly, it's something else for them to see you in your PJs making the first coffee of the day when you've hardly even decided whether you're awake or not. Sometimes we need our privacy and we can't quite cope when we lose it. So what about having privacy from God? That's a strange question, isn't it? Because we say we long for his presence, but, but actually do we? What about when God isn't letting us get what we want? What about when it feels like God is outmanoeuvring us time and again and we're confused by his ways and his presence in our lives? Well, have a look at verse 7, where David says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Flee from your presence, that's strong language, isn't it? And that's not what we expect to find in the Bible, but it's here. See, I suspect if we took the idea of God's presence a bit more seriously than we sometimes do, we might sometimes find ourselves reacting in the same way. See, we're not talking here just about a general theological statement about God being present everywhere. No, we're talking about something much more weighted than that. We're talking about his personal presence, his spirit, his Holy Spirit, shining the light of his perfect holiness, as well as the warmth of his perfect love into every corner of our beings. And that's amazing. But if we think about it honestly, it's also something from which we might sometimes feel the need to hide the light of his holiness present everywhere in our lives. And so David considers a few kind of possible escape options in verses 8 to 12. 
Let's, uh, let's imagine we, uh, we get in a SpaceX capsule from Elon Musk and we, we go up into the heavens, verse 8, and see the stars. Will we get away there? No, there's no escape. God is there too. Well, the second half of verse 8, let's, let's dig a hole. Let's go under the earth, into the place of the dead. But no, God is there too. OK, let's be, let's be really wacky. Let's try taking a ride on the sun rising up in the morning and then settling far away on the other side of the ocean at the end of the day. Let's go to the sun, to the far side of the sea. But we still can't escape, verse 9. God will be there too. He'll still be in control, verse 10. Your hand will lead me. He'll still be holding me, verse 10. Maybe even with a sense there of constraining me. We can't escape. The weight, the purity of his presence, his personal presence. And so in verses 10 and 11, we get the response again. And I, I think it's quite a surprising response where he's basically saying there is nowhere to hide. Verse 10. Sorry, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. Nowhere to hide. Now again, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's a wonderful thing that God's presence goes with us wherever we go, isn't it? That's wonderful. And that the, the light of his presence expels the darkness wherever he is. That's great. But the question is still there. Do we really want the light, the perfect light of his personal holy presence shining into every corner of our lives? Do we want that? It's a very good thing when we do want that. But I guess we've all experienced times when we feel we'd rather hide from it and get away from this perfect, purifying, penetrating presence. David seems to know that struggle. But then as we move to the third section of the psalm, it seems to me he turns a corner. We now look in verses 13 and following at God's wonderful design for me. God's wonderful design for me. See, right from the beginning of the human story, the lie of human rebellion that's defined so much of the course of human history is that we will find ourselves by finding space from God. Get away from God and be who you truly are. That was the lie of Genesis 3. And it's still the lie that lurks in our hearts. And it is a lie when you think about it, because actually there would be no me to find were it not for God, because he is our creator. We owe our very existence to him. Verse 13, for, there's the kind of hinge on which the whole psalm turns, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. The inmost being there is literally our kidneys, which to an Old Testament Jew, was, uh, was the seat of the emotions, the deepest place of being, and is created by God. In other words, the person I am, I am because that's how he knit me together in my mother's womb, tenderly, 
creatively, intentionally. So his intimate knowledge of me, his personal presence and involvement with me, these are not things to resist as if they were invasive and oppressive. These are the very things which have made me the person that I am, because he made me. And so to resent his presence would be like a fish resenting the water in which they were swimming, or a flower resenting the plants from which it had grown, or a book resenting the author who had written it. And so as David's journey turns the corner, his fear and his resistance give way to praise and thanksgiving. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And this sense of God making him wonderfully is not just a kind of technical or mechanical thing. It's intimate and personal. Verse 15 says his, his embryonic skeleton was formed as as, as his flesh grew around it. And, and in all that process, God was there, seeing, acting, creating, loving, rejoicing. Verse 15, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And even at that moment, the whole of David's life stretching out before him, even that was fully known in its every detail to God. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That was a verse that was very precious to Alison and I when we lost our first son, Daniel. He lived for just 13 days. And it was something very wonderful for us to realise that each one of those 13 days was his gift to Daniel and his gift to us. And that actually even those days, painful they, though they were for us, were somehow days which hadn't taken him by surprise or put him in the back, on the back foot, but days which he had woven into his good purposes for our lives, however painful they were. Every day ordained for me was written in your book before one of them came to be. So how will David now respond to this extraordinary deep knowledge that God, his creator, has of him? Well, now in verses 17 and 18, we get the response of joy in God's attention. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, God? Can you feel the contrast? Up until now, he's been really quite unsure what to think about all God's attention and God's presence. But now, how precious to me are your thoughts, God? And it's as if he's saying, the more of them, the better. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And this is a good thing now. Now that he's understood that God made him for himself and loves him tenderly. And this, this journey, this transformative journey from resisting God to delighting in him is a journey we all need to make if we're going to grow in intimacy with God. We need to put away from our minds the idea that we find ourselves apart from him. 
We need to put away from our minds the idea that his presence with us is somehow an intrusion, something from which we might want to hide. We need to put away from our minds the idea that his knowledge of us is invasive and intimidating. No, I was made by him and for him. And therefore his every thought about me, his every move towards me, is unspeakably precious and life-giving and glorious. I think we often waste quite a lot of energy worrying about what people think of us. It's certainly something that I struggle with from time to time. And there can be lots of reasons for that. Maybe, maybe those who should have reassured us and protected us remain silent when they should have spoken words of affirmation. They may even have neglected or abused us. Maybe they just weren't there at all. And we find ourselves wondering all the time, what do others think of us? What should we think of ourselves? We're left insecure, uncertain, permanently anxious. But friend, God does not ignore you. God never turns a cold shoulder towards you. He never leaves your messages unanswered. He never turns away in disappointment. He isn't endlessly wishing you were different to how you are. No, he made you. He loves you. He accepts you. He delights in you. Just feel the tenderness and the joy of his many thoughts towards you. And delight in his close attention and his intimate affection. I'm just going to read verses 13 to 16 again, and I'm going to put my own name into those verses. But as I do that, I want to encourage you to do the same with your name and let these words of God speak deep into your heart with all their healing power and warmth. Verse 13, for you created John's inmost being. You knit him together in his mother's womb. I praise you because John was fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. John's frame was not hidden from you when he was made in the secret place, when he was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw John's unformed body and all the days ordained for him were written in your book before one of them came to be. In the famous words of St Augustine, who spent so many of his early years resisting God and running from him, but finally came home to him. Augustine said famously, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's the journey of this psalm. I wonder, are you running from God? Are you resisting him? resisting his ways and his work in your life. Can I just tell you, there's no point. There is no life to be found by turning away from the life giver. There is nothing creative about resisting the creator. No, God made you. He knows everything about you. He knew everything about you from long before you were even in existence. And he calls you. He calls you to come home to him, to begin the relationship he made you for and to discover joy and delight in his attention, rest in his affection, realising that you matter to him. 
But David's journey is still not quite over. The final section of the psalm, verses 19 to 24, God's enemies are my enemies. Some people think that these verses spoil this otherwise rather wonderful psalm, but I think when we see them in the light of the journey that David has made, we can begin to make sense of them. See, at the start of the psalm, David is wondering whether to resist God or embrace him. And at times he seems almost to wonder whether God is the enemy from whom he needs to escape and hide. But now all that has changed. God is no longer a threat, but a home and a resting place. His presence is no longer something from which to escape, but something for which he was made and therefore something to embrace. So his true enemy is not God, but those who speak against God. And so David cries out to God against the enemies of God in verses 19 to 24. He speaks about bloodthirsty people, people who speak evil of God, people who misuse his name and hate him. How will David react to those who hate God? Well, rather like we react to those who hate and seek to destroy our dearest friends. It's just that David says it with a little bit more Hebrew honesty than we do. Verse 21, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them and count them my enemies. Or perhaps better, I, I hate them with perfect or pure hatred. See, David has moved from hostility to God to understanding him as his creator and then on to a loving acceptance of him. Now he moves this one step further and identifies fully with him so that the enemies of God are now enemies of his. Now, we need to remember here that the, uh, the word hatred is not a flare up of personal animosity. It's rather a considered attitude of settled, host settled hostility to all that is evil. We also need to remember that this isn't the only thing that the Bible says about enemies. Jesus tells us that we're to love them as well. And Paul reminds us that the true enemy is not the person, but the spiritual forces of evil that stand behind their choices and their actions and their hatred. But we cannot claim to love God deeply and yet be indifferent to all that stand against him and in opposition to him. Now, when we identify with him this fully, there is a sense in which his enemies become our enemies, though we still love them and serve them and seek to reach them for him. David's journey has taken him from wary resistance to God to this joyful identification with him. And it's a journey that we are all invited to make. And so in verses 23 and 4, we get the final response where we move from resistance to intimacy. As David returns to the, the same ideas with which the psalm began. But now, rather than just stating God's knowledge of him and God's searching of him or resisting those things even. No, now he's inviting them. Verse 23, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, my cares, the things that are concerning me, because so often my anxious thoughts 
are a window onto the things that are awry in my heart. Symptoms of the underlying idols that hold me in bondage to, uh, in bondage still. And David's saying, see those things, expose them, root them out, search me, know my anxious thoughts. From resistance of God to intimacy with God and a transforming encounter with his presence. How can we make that same journey? Well, by remembering that there is one human being who was perfectly known by God and whose perfect life could fully withstand the penetrating light of his holiness. His name was Jesus. Jesus, who himself was woven lovingly together in the womb of the Virgin Mary to be the man who is God's. And Jesus, with no sin of his own, went to the cross with our sins on his shoulders. And so he experienced for us the expulsion from God's holy presence that every one of us deserves. But he did it for us so that we could be forgiven and brought home into that presence. Home to the God who made us for himself. Home into deep, intimate communion with God, our creator. When by faith our lives are united with Jesus, we can live joyfully in the presence of God. We can be utterly known by him, yet fully accepted by him. And taken on a journey of transformation by the Spirit of God, in which the offensive and anxious ways in our hearts are gradually rooted out and we learn to walk in the way everlasting. Are you on that journey? Are you walking intimately with God? Are you hiding from his presence in your life or delighting it? Resisting his transforming scrutiny or inviting it? Friends, let's pursue intimacy with God in these difficult days. Let's pray. Let's take a moment just to reflect on what we've heard and to ask ourselves the question, are we resisting God's presence, God's knowledge of us, or are we welcoming it? Are we hiding from him or opening up to him, seeking true intimacy with him? Lord, we confess that there are times when we want to hide. Times when we fall back into thinking that we find ourselves by resisting and rejecting you. Please have mercy on us. Wherever there are areas of our lives that even now we are trying to shut off to you. Where we're trying to hide from you. Lord, we are sorry. We open ourselves to you and pray that we would grow to know you with intimacy, honesty and joy. We praise you for Jesus, who through his death and resurrection has enabled us to draw near to God. And we pray that over this month, you will be drawing us closer and closer to yourself and teaching us what it means to know God intimately. And we say to you, 
Dear God, search me and know our hearts. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any offensive ways in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Our Father, we want to bring to you our church family at this time as uh, we begin to return to our building for worship, some of us. We pray that you will uh, help us to, to work together uh, on that journey. And we pray that we would very much stay as one church family, even though some of us are present in the building and some of us still are watching online. Help us still to feel connected to each other and still reach out to each other in love and care. And Father, where relationships are strained or even broken, we pray that you would heal us and make us the church that you want us to be. We want to pray, Lord, for those uh, known to us who are in need. We pray particularly for Peter Mead, that you would make it possible for him to uh, come out of hospital and that his mobility would improve. For Maureen Taylor, Lord, that she would soon be able to come home and that she would really know you deeply in her life. For Peter and Daphne Squibb, as they adjust to a new situation, as Daphne is uh, receiving care. And we pray for Sophie Grace, the uh, grandchild of Clive and Margaret Osmond, recovering from heart surgery. We pray, Father, for wonderful healing and that she would be a most wonderful gift to Izzy and Richard. And we pray for them, that you would give them true joy in Jesus at this time and a deep reassurance of your presence. We want to pray for Becca Taylor and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunities that she has had in the church in Losh over the summer for various outdoor activities. Thank you for people that have come along and got involved. Thank you for the sense, the growing sense of community among the believers. We pray, Lord, that the church would grow in prayer. We pray that many who've uh, connected with the church over the summer would really come to know Jesus for themselves. And we pray that the forthcoming anniversary would uh, give many wonderful opportunities for people in the town to uh, experience the, the good news of Jesus as they celebrate with the church there. And Father, we want to pray for ourselves as we continue to struggle with the implications of the coronavirus pandemic. Please help us in our personal lives with the, uh, the struggles and the implications of it all and the difficult judgments we have to make. Please help us as a church, as we sometimes have different opinions on what's appropriate and what's not. Help us to hold strong together. And we pray, Father, for our politicians, for our health workers, for teachers and for others on the front line of dealing with this. Lord, please protect them. Please give them strength. Remember the police as well with the added burdens of enforcement that fall to them. Please protect and give them strength, we pray. And Father, we pray for all those that are seeking to find an effective vaccine and effective treatments. And we pray that soon those will be available to us, Lord. But along with that, we pray also that you would help us as individuals, as a church, even as a nation, to be responsive to all that you are wanting to teach us at this difficult time. And as we go into the week ahead, Lord, 
Give us grace to live it with you and for you, welcoming your presence and growing in intimacy with you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thanks for uh, being involved in Preach and Pray. I hope you've uh, really met God uh, through that. And uh, we hope you'll be able to join us for Zoom prayer at 7.30 this evening.